thank you for your prayers this week. It has been a great week at the Shepherds Conference. Both hearing uh, new explanations of the Word of God and also being reminded of some truths that we need to stand firm on. Sometimes as we look for the flicker, not here, did it go away? Sorry, guys, it's usually down here. That would be a distraction. Doesn't happen at the Shepherds Conference. Going, going this way. Yes, it does. Things like that happen everywhere, right? Yeah, they had to change out the mic on one of the guys, didn't they? Remember? Yeah. Who was it? Oh, yeah. D.K. Beal. All right. We'll use the thing. Sometimes as we look around the world, we see the wickedness of the world and we begin to despair. We see so much evil prevailing. We see the attack on the church. We see the attack on the Word of God. And we could be like the prophet Habakkuk who laments, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored. And justice is never upheld, for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted, as Habakkuk 1, 2 to 4 states. Have you ever had that happen? You look around and you say, man, it seems like evil's winning. Where is the word of God? I want the word of God. I want to hear it. I want to see it lived out, right? We ask in our hearts, why is evil winning? Why? We might even be tempted to ask, why does it appear that Satan's voice is louder than God's? Today we're going to see that God's word is powerful and working just fine in his believers, in his followers. Today we're going to see a snapshot of the word of God at work in the world. I got good news for you folks. It's doing just fine. It's doing a great job. God's work and his word make disciples, <laughs> change people's lives, help us to grow in grace and knowledge of him. And he's penetrating the darkness with his word. I saw it all week, right, guys? Saw the word being preached and 5,000 men together heralding the word of God. That's good news, isn't it? And they represented somewhere, you know, around a thousand churches in 70 nations. <laughs> that all these people proclaiming the same truth. The word of God is true. I'm so thankful it is penetrating the darkness. And as we will see, it will win the final victory. Today we're going to see the word is powerfully working in the Lord's sheep. But at the same time, many in the world also continuously Oppose the word of God. The start of our church in First Thessalonians, in Thessalonica that is, is found over in Acts 17. Take your Bibles and turn over there briefly and let's look at how they started, this, how this church started. 
In Acts 17, verses 2 to 4, it states, And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, quote, This Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of leading women. The church was established, folks, over three Sabbaths. It appears that it was just a short stay there for the Apostle Paul. And then persecution from some Jewish leaders began to explode in the church. Paul and the missionaries were run out of, the t- out of town after only a short time. So there was obviously some concern by the Apostle Paul whether these, their missionary efforts were effective and whether it would take root. The good news was is that when the Apostle Paul, as you look back over at 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul sent Timothy to check on the church a little while later, as explained in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, And Timothy brought back a good report of the church's continued commitment to the gospel and to the apostles' teaching, as 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 states. So Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians with the idea that he wanted to encourage them, encourage them to stand firm in the faith and to give an update on his own circumstances in light of the fact that everywhere he went, he was being persecuted. So we drop down into the middle of 1 Thessalonians 2 with an idea of looking at Paul's exhortation and encouragement to the believers and and to show them that he had been okay in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 2 and then to encourage them to continue to stand firm in the faith. As we look at these words, I, I want to include some other truths that I collected this week on the Word of God, and this passage was um, presented at the, uh, at, at the conference this week, and I kind of wanted, wanted to spend some more time on it and think on it. So we're going to kind of put those two things together, and yes, I'm going to uh, break the rules a little bit today. I'm going to go through the passage, but at the same time, I'm going to take a little break and talk about the Word of God. Uh, that's, we're talking about the Word of God, but I'm going to give you a little side note there. Uh, but I, I, I want to exposit the passage too, and we're going to, so I'm going to do both. We're going to do a topical and an expository message, whatever that is, right? Breaking all the rules today, mixing them up. Our passage breaks down into three main sections. Notice it briefly. It's very easy to follow. There is the power of the Word of God found in verse 13, and then there's the product of the Word of God in verse 14, And then finally, there's the persecution of the Word of God found in verses 15 and 16. And yeah, it's alliterated thanks to a few helpers this week. Let's start with the power of the Word of God. In verse 13, it states, For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. First, we see the effects of the powerful word of God is the reason for gratitude 
as described in the, by the Apostle Paul at the beginning of this little phrase. He says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God. And then he gives the reason that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. When the word of God is proclaimed and people embrace the truth, folks, that's reason to praise God and give thanks to him, right? I think sometimes we think uh, numbers or the number of people in a place is a reason to praise and thanks God. Yes, uh, it is good to have lots of converts, but ultimately it's the proclamation of the word of God and the reception of the word of God that really matters. There was a big discussion. Uh, it, it kind of bantered back and forth whether or not to clap or not clap at the, after somebody uh, preached a sermon at the conference. If we were clapping out of gratitude and thanks to God for the word of God being proclaimed, then great, right? It's all about motive in our hearts, why we show appreciation. In this case, it's obvious that Paul is appreciative of God because they received the word of God. There's a crucial point to be made here. The reason for thanks to God is the reception of the word, not necessarily the preacher of the word or even the hearer of the word. They received the word which they heard from the missionaries and the word wasn't the word of men. It was the word of God and the word of God was received. So Paul what? Is grateful. He's thankful. I think all too often we idolize the preacher or even elevate the hearer. The power and authority is the word of God. God was breathing his truth out through the apostles. And today we have a record of much of what God spoke to us or spoke to them, through them to us. What makes Paul thankful is the people's reception of the word of God, not their liking him as a communicator. I, I was humbled by that this week as I listened to many of these guys. I don't know about you, but I wish I had like three or four of the guys' voices. Uh, listening to Alistair Bag and, wow, if I could have that voice, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Or Ian Murray or any of these guys. I mean, they just had great voices. But you know, it doesn't really matter how squeaky my voice is. I just want to make sure I proclaim the word. Y'all might, I know I sometimes get under your nerves, and especially when I get really loud and passionate and screaming at you. Uh, but you know, really, it's all about this, this, this right here. This is all that matters. I'm just going to preach this. And, and when I line up with this, I want you to keep it. And if I don't, I want you to suck it, okay? And I might not be... Uh, might not have the voice of a great communicator, and I might even mix up my words, and I, I know I do. My tenses and my verbs, when I get talking, I, I mix everything up. Somebody told me this week, I'm so thankful for you, because when you mess up like that, it makes us show us, that reminds us that you're just human. That's what I am. I am human. And, and, and anything here, it's not really, I just want to preach the word of God, folks. And the day that I stop doing that, will you please leave the church? Either that first before you go out, say, hey, you're not preaching the Bible on the way out, okay? On the way out. It's really all about the Word of God. It's not about us. Listen, what makes the Scriptures great is not the eloquence of the presentation or the emotions 
of the hearers. It's the scriptures themselves. They are great, aren't they? The scriptures are great whether they are taught by John MacArthur or they're taught by some no-name pastor in the middle of Africa. The word is great. Whether it is taught by a scholar or a Sunday school teacher. I want to encourage all of you. Be a learner and a proclaimer of the word of God. Hear it. Study it. Embrace it. Know it. Meditate on it. Submit to it. And then share it. It's God's revelation of himself. I want to share with you a brief summary of some of the things that we were reminded of in this inerrancy conference. And it is the word of God is without error. Let's look. First, the word of God is the word of God is powerful. The word of God is powerful. We know this. How do we know this? Well, we see it in Genesis 1, don't we? In Genesis 1, 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, and 24. It's almost as if God starts the beginning of the Bible with a, a, a summary through Moses saying, Look, you know how everything exists? He spoke. His word's powerful, isn't it? You, you, you ask, it doesn't matter about Genesis 1 and whether God created the world in six days. I think so because it's a display of the powerful word of God. And again, God's word is powerful. And it doesn't only, it didn't only create the world, but it also sustains the world. Notice in Hebrews 1, 3, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, talking about Christ. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is, God made everything by his word and he sustains everything by his word. And then we also know from 2 Timothy 3, this passage is often preached and thought on, but there's a context for it. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You say, why is that there? There's no connection. There's not a word that says for at the beginning of all scripture. It's as if Paul breaks out in worship to describe the scriptures here. Why is he saying that? Well, I would argue that it's because he's saying he he told Timothy back in verse 14 that he should continue in the word or the things that he was taught. And then he gives the basis in verse 16 and 17. Why should you keep it? Why should you continue to seek it? Why? Because of what it is. Let me tell you what it is. It's all scripture. And it's adequate. And it works. And it's able to equip. It's profitable. It's powerful. It changes lives, doesn't it? Do we believe in the sufficiency of scripture here? Do we we believe that we can be God's set apart people and be different from the world? We do, don't we? What is the way that this happens? It's by the all-powerful word of God. As we hear it, as we meditate on it, as we memorize it, as we apply it, we become those holy people that God wants us to be. It almost sounds too easy. Read your Bibles. (laughs) Read your Bibles. Why? Because it changes your life. It's powerful. Next, we see the word of God is 
a present. It's a present. God gave the gift of his word through men of God moved by the Holy Spirit. We saw that we see this over in 2 Peter. Notice 2 Peter 1 20 and 21. But know this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Why is that so important? Oh, folks. Do you understand what a great gift we have here? Oh, we don't, we don't realize it. We don't meditate on it. I got two new Bibles this week. Like, man, don't you have enough Bibles? And this is a gift. This is beautiful. This is amazing. This is an awesome piece of work. God worked through men. The Spirit of God gave us a revelation of himself. We'll see in a little bit. It's a present, isn't it? This is my new preaching Bible. Isn't that nice? Big print. Love it. I was standing in. I was standing there, and we brought some expositor's commentary to replace some of the commentaries that had kind of grown legs and walked out of the library. Don't do that. <laughs> Leave all books in the library. I love you guys. So we bought these commentaries, and I was standing there and bought a whole set of them. And the guys, I said, "What about that Bible there? It's the boxes." Ripped. I didn't even say the box is ripped. Well, how much is this Bible here? Because it looked really good. I said, free for you. Said, oh, thank you. I'll take that. Don't don't take it wrong. It's an NIV MacArthur Study Bible. <gasps> oh no! I won't preach from it. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> but but the point behind it is is it, it, the cool thing about the MacArthur Study Bible is it shows, especially with the NIV, it shows where the NIV went wrong and where there's some good and what we can learn from it. So it's good. It's a study tool. But I got it for free. Isn't that great? <laughs> I got a present from the providence of the Lord. But you know, he gave all of us his present. We got the word of God. It's good, isn't it? Let's study it. Let's read it. What a gift. Present. Notice also the word of God is perfect. It's perfect. As we know in John 17, 17, it says, Jesus in his high priestly prayer said this, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In a postmodern world, we all need truth, don't we? Everybody says, well, truth is relative. Well, no, this is truth. Always. I need it, don't you? Have you ever found yourself saying, I don't understand what I should do? Read. He gives us truth. Then also we know that the word of God is a portrait. It's a portrait. Turn your Bibles back over to Psalm 19 as we read this morning. Psalm 19. As we saw in our passage, our Old Testament reading, in Psalm 19, the psalmist explains how God has revealed himself. And he reveals that through, he reveals himself through nature. That's called general revelation, correct? And general revelation does not save, but it condemns. But for the believer, it also reminds us and reveals that he is God and it shows his power. It's on display all the time, right? But then in verse 
7 it shows and switches over to special revelation, which is the word of God. And notice there's this giant change. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. You could translate that. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Is how you could translate that. And the idea is, is that it literally changes hearts. The word of God does. And then he goes on and it describes the revelation of himself in Psalm 19, 7, down through verse 11. And so God's revealing himself through the scriptures. And what happens to the psalmist when he reveals that God is showing himself through the scriptures? And he reveals his, that he's perfect. His word is perfect because what? He's perfect. All of these things, he's righteous. His word is righteous. This is actually revealing. This book reveals who God is. It gives us a portrait of who he is. And as we study this book, what happens when we see a glimpse of God through our study of this? What happens? It causes conviction, doesn't it? It causes us to be aware of our sinfulness, right? And look what happens to the psalmist. Look at verse 12. After seeing just a little glimpse of the glory of God found in the word of God, what happens? He says, who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I believe the psalmist, after recognizing the glory of God revealed in special revelation and general revelation, says, Oh, I need you. Prayer breaks out. Confession breaks out. Dependence shows up. How many of you want a better prayer life? Anybody want a better prayer life? I do. I got the answer. You ready? Read your Bible. (laughs) What? Prayer life? Read your Bible? Yeah. See, as you study and you meditate on the glory of God revealed in the word of God, it does what? It transforms your heart. It causes you to seek him. Every sermon you can listen to that's accurate is a great opportunity. A great opportunity to hear the word again. As long as the word of God is being preached, right? The word of God is the very thing that the apostles taught. And it's what we learn. Notice also the word of God must be proclaimed. It must be proclaimed. Now turn back over to 2 Timothy again. 2 Timothy. And again, we've heard this verse, these verses, and we... We've heard them over and over and over and over and again. And even as I was going through the conferences here in the Inerrancy Conference, I was like, man, yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard it before. And I've probably heard it numerous times. Is that a bad thing? No, it is a great thing. I do want to make a point here, a very important point, though. We don't just herald that the Word of God is good and great and that it's perfect and that it's righteous. We also preach it. This is very important. I, I was saved in a Southern Baptist church, and, and, and I heard uh, numerous me- messages about the inerrancy of God's word, that it was perfect, that it, they fought for that. But all too often I would hear sermon after sermon about how God's word is perfect, 
how God's word is righteous and how it's so great. But then they never talked about the word of God. They never preached what it said. That's something that we can all fall into. You know what that is? That's heralding a doctrine without actually doing the doctrine, if that makes sense. This is the word of God. It's perfect. It's great. But then never reading it or preaching it. You know, I can preach to the choir. (laughs) You know, I can actually fall into that trap sometimes. Y'all like to hear it when I say, God's word is true, don't you? I can play on the pulpit, God's word is true. And you can all go, amen, brother, preach it. And I can say a whole sermon of those kind of things, amen. You can, like that. But then never open it up or never crack it. You know what that is? Hypocrisy. That's me being the authority. That's me screaming to you something that I can get an amen out of. If the word of God is not, if you're not being convicted at all, then you're probably not hearing the word of God. If you're not being crushed at all, you're probably not hearing it. I'm being honest here. If all you want to do is say, yeah, that's good then you might be being told what you already believe. And as we found in the conference this week, and one guy pointed out, really good, you can be an inerrant. An inerrantist, that is, believe that the word of God is without error and be lost. That's scary, isn't it? The word is true, but be dead in sin. we got to preach the word, don't we? Look at it. 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 4. I solemnly charge you. That is Paul's charging Timothy. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. I admit it, that sometimes that not every passage is uh, super exciting. (laughs) Sometimes, I, I sometimes feel uh, bad for Mark as on Sunday nights as he goes through some of his passages. He's going through First and Second Samuel when he finished that, and he's going through Judges, and some of these passages like, oh, that poor man. <laughs> I mean, it's woe, it's woe, it's, oh, they did another sin. These wicked people. And we're sitting there, or, or at the conference, we're sitting there with our eyes with, bloodshot and needing some toothpicks to keep us awake. Some passages are not these super exciting things, but do you come to hear some exciting thing that just makes your blood flow? If that's it, then maybe you're not here for the right reason. See, I can get you excited. I sold vacuum cleaners for a living. Seven years I did it. Can you believe it? People bought $1,500 vacuum cleaners. I got them excited to go do it. 
God's in it. It's the truth. Unbelievable. I could get you excited. But what if I talk monotone all the way through this? Would the word of God be enough? Or are you here just to get your ears tickled? I hope it's not that. I hope you just want to hear the word. Pastor might not, might not always be this crazy. One day he might just be this normal guy that talks like this. The older I get, I probably will be like that and probably a little bit more ornery. I just want to preach the word. I just want to tell you what it says. I want to, and I'm not going to worry what other people think. I'm not going to try to tickle your ears. I really don't care if you leave if you don't like the word of God. Because the word of God must be proclaimed. Also, we see that the word of God must be processed. The Lord's disciples hear and know their shepherd's voice. Look over at John 10. You can... And then we'll make our way back to our passage. In John chapter 10, verse 27, it says, Jesus talking states, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Did you hear me, folks? Do you hear our Lord, what he's saying? The emphasis is obviously on, he's used this illustration of sheep and shepherd, right? A shepherd, when a shepherd calls a sheep, they knew the tone of his voice. They knew what his voice was about. They knew he knew them. Right? And they followed his voice. Is this the voice you follow? (laughs) Is this what you think on? Is this what you live for? Do you want to know this? Do you want to understand this? Is this your guide? This is what we've got to be at this church, right? This is what we've got to be about all the time. Not sometimes, always. Every verse, every thought, always proclaiming Jesus Christ and His Word. Now look back over at 1 Thessalonians 1, 2.13. For this reason we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, You accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. Again, here we see the processing is described in two verbs that are mentioned in our passage. The first is received, when you received the word of God. And the second is you accepted it. You accepted it. That is the word of God. The idea here is is not just hearing a good sermon. And marveling at the delivery or style. That's not it. It is also not just affirming the truthfulness of it. Again, as I said, just because you say it's true doesn't mean you have processed it. it. Just because you affirm facts does not mean that you are saved. It's a willful Embrace, that includes submission to the authority of the word itself. That is crucial. What does he mean by the word accepted? He means this. He means that you didn't just take it in. You took it in and it changed you. And you submitted to it. 
You fully embraced all that it says and all that it means, and it is your guide. It is your life because it reveals the Creator. It is the Word of God. Affirming something is true does not mean you have submitted to the one who said it. We all know this from growing up, don't we? Many of you probably learned how to say yes, sir, or no, sir, or yes to your father, or no to your mother, right? In a respectful way. Anybody learn that? I learned it. I had to do it. I learned how to say yes, sir, but inside my heart, it didn't necessarily mean that I was submitted to him. Is that not true? I could look him right in the eyes and say yes, sir, and walk away thinking, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do this, and I'm going to do it, but only because you're going to make me. I don't really want to do it. Nobody has that problem, do you? I think some, all too often we hear sermons and we say, oh, I like that sermon. I agree with that sermon. But I don't know if I'm going to live by that sermon. I'm not going to do what that sermon says to do, what that word says to do. Anybody fall into that trap? We walk out on, walk out on, say, man, that was great, Pastor. Tell me that on Wednesday when things get rough. Tell me that when your kid looks at you and says something disrespectful to you. Then we know whether or not you really embrace the truth, right? You know, it was mentioned again at the conference this week that uh, Benjamin Franklin would go and listen to George Whitfield. Loved to listen to George Whitfield. But he didn't believe in him. Didn't believe what he said. He said, well, why do you go listen to George Whitfield? Because it's worse. It's smooth. I mean, he's a great communicator. I mean, it, it is truth. But I don't believe it. I hate him inside, but I got to hear him. Whoa. Beloved, what do you do with the word of God? Does it change you? Is it changing you? I'm more convinced of this every day. More and more. That many people can affirm truth and not actually believe the truth receive the truth i see it as time goes along don't you see it people that you love dearly you love them dearly and they say i believe in the truth i'm with christ i believe the gospel they even learn how to proclaim the gospel and then years go by and you you can't find them with radar at a church where are they where are you Come back. What about the Bible that you love so much and you screamed about? Where are you? Problem is, is it wasn't accepted. It wasn't really received. For if it was really received, there would be a life change. Does that make sense? fact is is that word must be pursued 
also. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. I love this verse. Y'all all know how a baby pursues milk, right? They want it. They can't go without it. How about you guys? Did that describe the way that you look at the word of God? Give me more. Keep going. I want to hear more. You see this. You see this. And it makes us grow. It says it. So that by it you may grow with respect to salvation. So pursue it. Long for it. Crave it. That's what we need to do here, right? Finally, as we see in our passage, the word of God is percolating. Neat, neat pee, huh? Thanks, Tim Dagnall. Wasn't it, or was it you, Stephen? Which one? One of you gave me that one. How is Tim Dagnall percolating? I like it. I should make him stand up and explain it. <laughs> what I mean by it is, is that it, it, it's working in the believer. It's working. The word of God is constantly working within us. Go back to your passage, 1 Thessalonians, or maybe you didn't leave. And you see, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. It's, it's, it's working. Have you ever found yourself as you're going along, you're, you're thinking on something, and, and you're trying to make a decision. Should I do this or should I do that? And you're, you're trying, is this the right thing to do? And scripture just floods your mind. Oh, yeah, that applies. Better make that choice, not that one. It works within us, doesn't it? It causes us to be holy. Some would say, well, that's the voice of God in my ear. You know, God, I just believe it's the word of God, and I know it's a mystery, I admit. The Holy Spirit brings the scriptures to our minds and our hearts and causes us to think right. It works within us. Isn't this good news? (laughs) This is good news. God's word works in his followers. It's like the energy to our soul. It empowers us and motivates us and illumines our minds and our hearts and causes us to pursue God more because of the revelation of him in the word. God's word does its work in God's people. So we must all make it our mission to know it more and to understand it more, to embrace it more, to submit to it more, and then to share it more. I might not have the greatest stories, but I do have the word of God. Let me ask you a question. What is the main topic of your conversations? (laughs) I think sometimes we get on our high horses, our hobby horses, but they're not always biblical hobby horses. And sometimes we don't all just proclaim the glories and excellencies of him. I think all too often we try to command obedience without an understanding of who the one they're obeying is. You understand most of the time in scripture, most of the time, there's almost always a prep. Look at who God is and then do it. Look at who God is and how great he is then do it. We do this. Do it. Stop it. When in fact it should be, look at him. 
Look how glorious he is. Now, don't you want to do it? We're with our kids. I know I'm guilty of this. Any parents guilty of this? Just stop it. Don't do that. If you do that, you're going to get a, right? But do we herald the glory of God revealed in the word of God as much? Do we? Oh, I think we need to do this much more, don't we? Much, much more. Because the word of God is what works in the hearts of people as followers. I don't want to raise a Pharisee. How about you? You know how you stop from raising a Pharisee? You know how? You proclaim the glories of the gospel. Proclaim the glories of the revealed word of God. Because that's the thing that works within them. Not your strict, harsh words. The words of men do nothing. The words of God change hearts. Where's the authority? Right? We all know it. I I was talking to somebody today about this. All too often our authority is found in what? Us. And you know how we use our authority? We say, well, the God's word says it's our authority. God's word says we are the authority. You need to listen to me and obey me. Husbands, don't say that to your wives, do you? If you do, mm -mm -mm -mm. listen to me, folks. Listen. You've changed the authority over to primarily you. You've made it about submitting to you. Do you understand? The primary submission is to who? God. And where does that come from? An understanding of the glory of God in the portrait of Christ Jesus revealed in this book. We've got to do that. We've got to work at it. Now, children, that does not give you an excuse to go home and not obey your parents. They're trying to train your conscience. They're trying to help you. But remember who the authority is. Ultimately, it's God. Doesn't Paul say that? You received it not as the word of men, but as the word of God. He's emphasizing who's the authority, right? Not me. God. Be careful of using that as a beat stick too, beloved. Because the word of God works within the people. As MacArthur stated... Scripture works on behalf of believers in a multitude of ways. It saves them. It sanctifies them. It matures them. It frees them. It perfects them. It counsels them. It builds them up. It ensures their spiritual success. And it gives them hope. That's the word of God, isn't it? So in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we first saw that God's word is powerfully working in the believer. Next, we see the produce or the product of the word of God the produce of the word of God or the product for you brethren became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen even as they did from the Jews now I want you to think about this for a second 
Folks, think about, think about how this has to work. It has to be a God thing. It can only be a God thing that can produce this kind of thing. Let me ask you a question. Would you ever ask your kid? Would you ever ask your child? Come here. What I want you to do is I want you to suffer. I want you to suffer. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to follow Jesus, and when you follow Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution because I follow Jesus. Get ready. You're going to suffer. And Andrew looks at me and says, wait a second. You're telling me to suffer? You're commanding me to suffer? Would anybody in here command your children to suffer? Anybody, raise your hands. Command your children to, be, to suffer. I don't think of any parents in here that are saying, you must suffer. But do you understand that, that all who desire to live in godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution? That's a, a promise from Scripture. How in the world do we do this? How do we have this kind of production? How do we make our children willing to suffer for Christ's sake? How do we do that? They got to know the revelation of God found in the Word of God. And the Word of God has to be working in their hearts. That is not going to come naturally, beloved. They've got to know the Scriptures. And the Scriptures have to be working in them. For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea that suffered. What was the work? What did it produce? People that imitated other sufferers. Do we buck against persecution? Yeah. Why? Because at that moment, the word of God is not working in our hearts. That's, that's pretty intense, isn't it? We sure are good, though, at saying to other Christians, man, you just got to bear up underneath it. Come on, endure. Come on, the Word of God says this. We know how to do it, and we know how to preach it, rather. We don't know how to do it, do we? We're not real good at that. The reason why is because I don't think we pursue it enough. I don't think the Word of God is our primary delight. Do you all understand? That isn't our primary delight, is it? Our primary delight is ourself and our pleasures and our own fleshly desires. Oh, this is convicting, isn't it? The Word of God produces imitators of other sufferers. Are you an imitator of other sufferers? The church in Thessalonica was. They looked like, and what's amazing is, is that it seems as though they were baby Christians. Baby Christians that embraced the word so much. And it had become such a part of their life that it actually caused them to be imitators of other sufferers in Judea. The fact of the matter is, beloved. Oops. Do this. The fact of the matter is, is that the word of God is under attack. And all those that proclaim it, 
are under attack. We see it in our passage, don't we? This is the way it's been. This is what it's a part uh, to be a part of the kingdom. That's what it's about. Being a part of the kingdom is blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? Because that's what they did to Jesus. And that's what they did to the apostles after. Why was the church in Thessalonica formed? We all know it, don't we? We know it from our study in Acts as we've been going through. What happened? What happened to cause them to flee to Antioch? Remember? You tell me. Stephen. The death of Stephen. Remember? This is the way it is. Do you understand that when you wake up on Sunday morning and you wonder, oh, I'm going to hear the word of God, do you understand the enemy does not want that to happen? Do you understand when you go to work and you're trying to apply these truths to your heart and you go to work and everything seems to be crashing down upon you and everybody's coming at you with evil thoughts? Do you understand that those temptations or those persecutions or those things that are coming at you are all because you love the Word of God and you want to hear it and apply it and live it? That's what's happening. Look, who both killed the Lord Jesus and prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they may they always fill up to the measure of their sins. But the wrath has come upon them to the utmost. What's the point? What's the point? Here's the point. You ready? It's real clear. You are hated by the world. Why? Because you love Jesus. And primarily they hate somebody more than you. It's the one that tells them to submit to him. Jesus. That's a fact. And if you follow God for any time, guess what's going to happen? People are going to hate you for that. You're going to be persecuted. And I don't believe often that the people that are persecuting the people actually think they're doing, quote unquote, something wrong. Do you understand that this is the way it is? If they hated me, how much more will they hate you, is what Jesus said. They're going to hate you. They hated me, they're going to hate you. And notice what they are trying to do. What are they trying to do? What were these false teachers trying to do? They were trying to hinder us from speaking to the Gentiles. What is that? Oh, listen closely. Listen closely. Do you understand how important your testimony is? Do you understand that all of these attacks and all these things that come at you are all about stopping the word of God coming out of your mouth? It's all about that. Everything is all about trying to get other people from being saved. That's what it says. Hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. The word of God is persecuted. <laughs> They hated Jesus and they hate his word. They don't want his word to go out because what? Other people will be saved. Does Joel Osteen know this? 
Does Joel Osteen know, man, I'm preaching a false gospel and all these people are dying and going to hell? Yay! I'm sending a bunch of people to hell. I don't think he thinks that. I think he's clueless. But he walked after the prince of the power of the air. And he has a false gospel. And that false gospel is causing people to be led astray. He's actually part of the process of blinding people. Scary, isn't it? And your testimony can be too. Listen, we lose all credibility when we don't live what we preach. Is that truth or not? I mean, isn't that the fact? If we scream at our kids and call them names or whatever like that and then tell them, hey, go love your brother and sister, there's a problem. There's a huge problem, isn't there? Friends, do you understand? Do you understand? Satan wants nothing more than to destroy your credibility and stop the word of God from going out to people to be saved. So when you hear things like this, what do you do? What do you do? Hopefully, my prayer is, is that you see those words and you understand something. Who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. Here's what you do. Your hearts, you cry out and realize that it is your lack of a, com a faithful commitment to the word of God and to him that caused his death and that you turn to him. Once again, repentance, right? Is there anybody in the place that hasn't uh, needed to repent this week? If so, don't tell me you're in trouble. Nobody went this week without sinning. If you did, you are blinded. You don't realize how sinful we are, right? It's been good this week being around six other guys. One thing I've recognized being around the six other guys, I love them dearly. I recognize my sinfulness a lot more around them, though. You hang around, and boy, for Pastor Mike, it, whatever I say in my house pretty much goes as a whole. Not always, right, babe? When she can talk wisdom into me sometimes. But you get six guys together, y'all, all the ladies in the room say, amen, right? You put six guys in the same vehicles going the same, trying to go the same direction at the same time. And it's funny because everybody's got their own will and their own way to go in their own direction. Let's go this way. Let's go that way. Let's go now. Five minutes. Beloved, we need the word of God to work in our hearts, don't we? Not just today, but every day the rest of our life. Because the one we really submit to is King Jesus. So let's follow his word. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for changing us and working in us. Thank you that he who began a good work in us will complete it in the day in the day of Christ Jesus. God, you are good. You use your word to change us and make us look more and more like your son. Help us to be imitators of Christ. That means, Lord, when persecution comes, help us to not take offense, not take it personally, but to humbly bow to your sovereign will and to trust you and to obey you and to lean on you and to trust in your grace. We thank you for the gospel, Father, for we know all of us have sinned. All of us, even in our redeemed state with regenerated hearts, we still have a propensity to elevate ourselves. And God, we need your forgiveness. We need your compassion. We need your grace. And we thank you for the completed work of Christ Jesus on the cross for us. We thank you that we have been declared right through his death. We thank you that there's hope in Christ. We thank you that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a glorious truth, God. We know this truth because it's found in your word. So we pray that you help us to plant it deep within our souls and live in a manner worthy of the calling by which, God, you have called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.